Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Caitlin, and thank you, Lord, for Sarah, and we pray your blessing on them. And we thank you for, the, the, for their birthday, their father. You gave them to their families and their friends, and we receive them as gifts. And Lord, as we look into your word this morning, I pray that you will open our hearts that we may see, hear, and understand your word. May you be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, through the years, I remember when I got saved, you know, I loved many, many of the hymns. And most all of them pointed to the cross in some way, shape, or form. If you really think about it, you know, many of the hymns had the cross as a focal point in them. Why? Because the cross has always been the central event in history, if you really think about it. Our human history is both defined and divided by it. It's that important. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. What's the rest of it? The emblem of suffering and shame. You know, we love that old cross. We're the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain, right? Let me read you something. The cross is one of, if not the greatest contradiction in history. This Roman form of execution called crucifixion is a visual paradox. It's a symbol of death and life, hate and love, violence and peace, accusation and forgiveness, sin and purity, brokenness and wholeness. On the cross, all is given up, and yet everything is gained. We see destruction and restoration, defeat and victory. To the world, it is the cruelest form of execution. To the Christian, it is a symbol of abundant life. The cross means this. Now, today... I want to encourage you, if you've got your Bibles, we're probably going to go through at least 25 or more scriptures today, which is rare. Not rare, it's... <laughs> you want to preach? <laughs> it is rare for this reason, because most of the time... Most pastors and preachers don't do that because once you go through a certain amount, it gets confusing and people shut down. You're going, why are you doing it? Because I'm not most preachers. And I believe we need to go through these scriptures today. So get your Bibles out, whether it's on your phone or if you've got a paper-bound one, make sure you follow along today. Romans 5.8 says this, But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the meaning of the cross. Let me show you another one. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him... I say, whether things on the earth or things in heaven. So what are we seeing so far? That God made peace. Peace with who? 
Peace with what? God, through Christ, and we're going to see this, made peace when he didn't have to with us. Because we were the ones that rebelled against him. But it was his good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, meaning Christ, through Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. We were under the wrath of God. We've seen that. We saw that many times, and we're going to see it again, because of our rebellion against God. And we take it lightly because we've heard so many times over the years, we've heard that statement, we've heard that Christ loved us, Christ died on the cross, and it's become, and I'm going to say it, it's become mundane to the majority of Christianity. It's become commonplace. And when a thing becomes commonplace, it's like, eh. But this is the greatest truth in history. This is where it all happens. Because without the cross, and we're going to see, without the cross, we will die in our sins. We would spend eternity in hell in torment because of our own rebellion. But God made a way through the cross. Everything about Jesus' life pointed to this moment. Now what we're going to do, if you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 15, verse 22, we're going to start. What we're going to do is we're going to read this. Now, normally, we would go through it almost word by word. But what we're going to do is this way. is This week and next week, it's going to be two parts on the cross. And we're going to look at something that many have done, but we're going to look at it, I hopefully, a little different. The seven last words, or seven last sayings of Christ on the cross. What they really mean. Why did he say these things? What do they mean to the believer? The last words of anyone are very important for they reveal the innermost thoughts of the person. They, it reveals their heart. There's websites you can go that tell you the last words of many famous celebrities and politicians and all this stuff. And it's scary. Let's read Matthew, uh, Mark, excuse me, chapter 15, verse 22. Then they brought him to the place of Golgotha which is translated the place of the skull. They tried to give him mixed, wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, and he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, ha, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. 
The very first words of Jesus after they it was nine o'clock in the morning. We saw how he made it to the cross. We saw about Simon and Cyrene carrying the cross for him through part of the journey to Golgotha. We know that Golgotha, as it says, means the place of the skull. Some say that it was a trash heap. In most cases, it was not. Okay? It sounds good, but in most cases, it was not. It was a place called the skull. Many believe because it was a, there's a skull, and there's a place in Israel that looks like that. But there's no guarantee that that's where he was actually crucified. Some believe that it was called the place of the skull because there were so many crucifixions that happened there that Rome did that there were skulls laying around from the rotting corpses. It was a stinky place because of the rotting corpses, not really because of the trash. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. They take his body, they stretch out his arms, He's been beaten. His ribs and, and bones are showing because of the flesh being torn back. I'm not going to get do the thing where every pastor does and gets all graphic and stuff. But they, let me tell you a couple things. They pull his arms to the point where they're most likely out of place. They drive a nail through right here. It presses in so hard and it cuts through that it takes a nerve and it takes the thumb and it does this. And it's an excruciating pain. They do that on both arms. They pull them tight. To where it's out of place because why crucifixion was was not really dying from the nails it was dying from suffocation and we know this they put the feet together and they he wasn't standing on a little little uh platform and they nailed it to the platform he was on an actual beam and they nailed it to the beam because the whole point was that he died of suffocation because he couldn't lift himself up because it hurt so bad to push on the feet and pull with the wrist so he could breathe. He's hanging up there. And here's the first word that's said. Turn with me to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Look at verse 33. When they came to the place, verse 33 of Luke 23. When they came to a place called the skull... There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. Let me show you something. The very first word, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This is the first time. Now, I'm talking about because if you, this is the book that goes back thousands of years, Okay. This is the first time from what we understand in recorded history that a person forgave their executioners at that moment. Matthew chapter 1, 21 says this. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Why am I saying this? Because what Jesus did was to demonstrate why he came. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. On the cross, he forgave mankind, but he displayed it by saying to his executioners who just nailed him to a cross, 
who had beat him, who are dividing up his clothes. He's hanging there naked, not in a little loincloth. He's naked before everyone. That's part of the humiliation. And he's forgiving the ones who did it. Do you know that really didn't start most likely until after Christ? Because many times the martyrs would repeat this. But it was only because of the very presence of God, the Spirit of God abiding in them because of salvation, that they were able to forgive those who were killing them for being a Christian. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is the whole point of the cross. Let me show you another one. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Now, stop there. That's what he did. He forgave us of our transgressions. Now, how did he do it? Look at it. Having canceled out the certificate of debt, which we owed, consisting of decrees against us, which was the law. We couldn't keep the law. There's no way that man could have done it on their own. We had sin. We had a sinful nature. And there was no way that we were going to keep the law. The law was given so we know what sin was. And God knew we couldn't keep it. That's why he sent his son. And the decrees were the sins and the laws that were put against us because we couldn't keep it. And so if we couldn't keep it, we would die and spend eternity in hell, away from God. But look what he did. Having canceled out the certificate of debt, our debt which we owed because of our sin, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken away it, it out of the way. He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to what? Say it. The cross. Forgiveness. The first word given on the cross gives us the meaning of the cross. The Lord, purchase, Lord purchasing forgiveness for all who would believe. I pray, and I'm praying this in my life, and I was praying it this week, that the cross and what happened on the cross and what it means will not become mundane in my life. We as believers need to know the gospel better than an unbeliever. Not just so we can share it, because it's part of our life. It's the reason that we can sit here and gather today. And it's the reason that when we close our eyes for the last time, that we will see Jesus face to face and spend eternity. And we'll say, welcome in, good and faithful servant. Because the cross, the cross, Here's the second word. Luke chapter 23, verse 35. We're going to read down through 43. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him uh, sour wine, and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. You know what they were doing? Repeating what the priests and all the others were saying. Verse 38. Now there was also an inscription above him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanging there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. 
But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. The second word is a word of promise of eternal life. The first word was of forgiveness. The second, the promise to a new believer of eternal life. This account is a beautiful example of how a person receives Christ. If you want to know what, how a person is to receive Christ, look at the thief. Let me show you. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, the cross means this, for he rescued us. Now stop there. He rescued us. Do you know what that means? It means this. That word rescue means to draw to oneself, but it means to draw to oneself out of danger. Now think about this. On the cross, he forgives those who have crucified him, those who were dividing his clothes up. Then he at the same time, he's forgiving the whole world. That's the purpose of the cross. So why is he forgiven? So he can draw all those who will believe to God. He's drawing them out of danger. What's the danger? Eternal hell. Eternal separation. He's drawing us out of danger, but at the same time, he's calling us to himself. So, for he rescued or drew us out of danger, okay? Out of what? The domain of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That word transfer means this. He took us, here's a dark area. This is where we're at. We're standing in darkness, but it's darkness so black that we cannot see. And for God's incredible grace, for a moment, he enlightens us so that we can see the gospel. And then it says, we accept him, and then he transfers us. That word transfer means he literally takes us. Physically takes us out of darkness into his light, the kingdom of, his, of himself, the kingdom of his beloved. God transfers us through Christ out of darkness into light. That's the beauty of it. Because let me tell you something. Without Christ, our hearts are as black as the deepest darkness. See, the big thing nowadays is that, oh, well, just you know, bless your heart if you're a southerner. You know that statement. Well, just bless your heart. Well, it needs blessing because this is black as coal. But we're always saying, hey, just follow your heart. Don't. Well, the heart is filled with love as long as we're getting what we want. But the heart is good. All men are good. No, the Bible says every man is bad. We don't want, you know, we don't like that because it, then we got to go, well, I was bad. The only reason we're good now is because of Christ. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what God did with Christ through Christ on the cross. Now, here's four things that the thief recognized. Look at verse 40. 
This is the other thief, the good thief. <laughs> okay? But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we received, we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. I'll stop there. What did the thief recognize? He recognized his own sinfulness. His own sinfulness. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. Memorize that verse. What does Romans 6.23 say? For the wages of sin, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, right? The wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, we garner, we get a wage. And that wage is death, eternal separation from God. You know, I'm praying, I'm really praying for what I got to see in the 70s during the Jesus movement where people wept over their sin. When they were coming to Christ, they wept because they saw their sinfulness. Nowadays, it's like, okay, yeah, I sinned. Boy, have I sinned. (laughs) I can tell you some stories. No, don't, please. I mean, I, okay, I get it. I've had people tell me that. And I've, one of them I looked at, I said, you're not broken over your sin, are you? Well, I mean, come on, I know I sinned. It's okay. I mean, God, you're telling me God's going to forgive. And I looked at him and said, not like that. We need to be broken over our sin. Why do you think God gave 1 John 1, 9? We confess our sin. And I've said this in the last number of weeks many times. That's the grace of God. When we sin, it shouldn't be just a, yeah, I sinned. Yeah, I, I sinned. I really did. No, it ought to break us in half. And make us run to the one who forgives us. That's what the thief is doing. He's hanging there moments from death. Recognizing that Christ is sinless. He didn't do anything wrong. And he's rebuking the guy that's that's making fun of Jesus. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He recognized this. Look at the second thing. He recognized Christ's sinlessness. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now let me clarify something. There's a false teaching going around. That what happened with Christ is that he, on the cross, became a sinner. That's not true. There's those that say he became a thief. He became an adulterer. He became a pedophile. He became one who who thrives on pornography. He became a uh, all kind of, that's not what that says. Look what it says with me real quick, if you want to look at it. Okay? 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf which means our sin was placed on Christ. If you can imagine, for lack of a better term, a a big satchel full of sin, 
Christ is hanging on the cross, he didn't become the sin. The sin was hung on him. You understand the difference? That satchel was full of our sins and all the sin of the world, and it was hung on him. He took the payment. He made the payment. He took the penalty for our sin. He was sinless, and he remained sinless even on the cross. But our sin was laid upon him, was hung upon him. Y'all still with me? Okay. Look what it says, if you want, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Turn with me. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews 4, 15. Here we go. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. He was sinless. Here's the third thing. First, the thief recognized his sinfulness. He recognized Christ's sinlessness. And then now he recognized that Jesus is a king and he has a kingdom. Which, put it this way, you want to put it easier? He recognized that Jesus was the son of God. Jesus answered him in verse 42. He says, my, well, actually, not in verse 42, in John 18, 36, Jesus said to the Pharisees, my kingdom is not of this world. Actually, he said it to Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world. Turn with me to Philippians. We're going to read this together. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 5. Is this making sense this morning? Okay. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. And in the Greek, you know what that means? Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Okay? Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptying himself, not of his Godhead, not of being God, okay, but emptying himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does this mean? The thief recognized Jesus' deity in some form, knowing that he had a kingdom and that Jesus was going there, and he recognized that he was the king in that kingdom. How, we don't know. We can speculate all day. But this is what happened. I personally believe because of the presence of God that came upon, some way came upon that thief, he understood enough to know that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, and that he was going to his kingdom and that he could go with him. Let me show you. Look at the next thing. He understood that Jesus has the power to grant him entrance. Why? 
John chapter 14, verse 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, and what does it say? No one but through me. No one comes to the Father but through me. Do you understand that? No one comes to the Father but through Christ. The thief had to understand something, and it had to be because of the very Spirit of God to understand that he could get into the kingdom through Christ. Am I making sense? Jesus said in John 10, verse 9, he said this, I am the door, I am the gate. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He's the gate, he's the way in. So what are we saying, what the thief said? With this, if you never learn any more theology than what this thief knew, you could still enjoy God here and through eternity. That's all he knew. On his deathbed, for lack of a better term, he figured it out because of God. And why? He wanted to be saved. The other thief didn't care. So we can safely say that that thief walked into paradise with Christ that very day. So what does that second word mean? It's a promise of eternal life. Last word. We're only going to look at three today. Turn to John chapter 19 if you would. John chapter 19. Look at verse 25. I actually like the second part of it. But standing by the cross, John 19 verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing thereby, most believe that was John, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour the disciple took her into his own household. What is this? Okay, that's great. I mean, if you really think about it, John MacArthur said this. He said, in caring for his mother, Jesus entrusted Mary to John. John became as a son to her in Jesus' place. And from that hour, he took her into his own household. This may seem a very mundane thing to, to be concerned about in the hour of his greatest sacrifice, but the beauty of the Savior's love and compassion for his widowed mother in the midst of his own excruciating pain reflects his love for his own. Very nice, right? It's true. Most believe, why did he do that? Because by this time, most likely, Joseph had passed away. So he's taking care of his mom. But does that have anything to say to us? If you really think about it, actually it does. This is a beautiful picture at the foot of the cross of what? Of acceptance. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but think about this. How many of you have ever felt unloved? How many have ever felt like they didn't have a family? How many of you have ever felt alone?
you know what I want to tell you to do? Sometime during the week, let me show you. See this thing? Now, I like my phone. I really, I like my phone. It is very handy. Do you know what makes us not feel alone anymore? We have these things with us 24-7. They by our bedside. Most don't turn them off. We have them in our back pocket. In fact, a pair of Lee, uh, Lee jeans or Wrangler jeans fits perfect. Okay? We have them at our dinner table. We have them at our breakfast. We have them at our lunch. Our necks are bent like this. In fact, I saw a meme that when everyone gets to heaven, they're going to need healing because their necks are like this. I'm going to ask you to do this sometime this week. Take this thing and turn it off for an hour. Do you know how many of your hearts just palpitated? <laughs> Flatline. Okay? Turn them off for an hour when you're alone and see how alone you feel. You're going, why are you saying this? For this reason. Until we know what loneliness is, we're never going to know what acceptance through Christ is. Because what this is, is not just Jesus taking care of his mom. It's Jesus letting us know that we have been accepted into the beloved. Let me show you something. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But as many as have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The beauty of it is this, is that when I felt alone as a believer, I had to go past that point and realize that's a lie because I am not alone. Even though there were times where I was alone from family, I was alone from everyone, but I was not alone. Jesus Christ abides in the believer. Understand this. The Spirit of God abides in us as believers. And because of that, there's no way we can ever say truthfully that we're alone again. Think about that. We use alone for manipulation. I just feel so alone right now. Oh, you do. I'm so sorry. I'm not hugging you. Don't worry. <laughs> we use it. But let me tell you something. We're not alone. When people say, I feel so alone, this wonderful, loving pastor goes, that's a lie. You're going, well, that's not compassion. Until the believer starts believing the word of God as true, as truth, we're never, never going to know what it means to be accepted by Christ. If this isn't true, then throw it out, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But Jesus said, he's brought us into the beloved. We are now children of God. We have a family. We are not alone anymore. That's the beauty of it. We should be walking around with a stupid grin on our face all the time. Even during trials. 
Christ shows us at the cross and taking care of his family that we came into his family through the cross. We came into Christ's family through the cross. Y'all, don't worry. I didn't start till like 25 minutes ago, so I still got some time. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. One of my favorite verses. I only know it in the King James, but I'm going to read it out of the New American Standard. See how great the love the Father has bestowed on us, that we will be called children of God, and such we are. Now, for those of you that have been here, you're going to hear it again. Do you know what that means? In the Greek, it means this. It means from what country has the love of God come? Because it's foreign to this world. The love of God is literally foreign to this world. We're the ones that make it known. But Christ made it known to us. It came from someplace other than the world. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us, the King James Version says. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us. We used to sing it in the 70s. Behold, what manner. That means out of what country did the love of God come from that we now have it? It's foreign. But we as believers have the love of God in our life. Even in our suffering. Even in our trials. Even in the temptations. Even at death. Even at life. Where no matter where we're at, we have the love of God. And we've been brought in so much so that we are now called children of God. We're not orphans. And we say, well, well they just got an orphan spirit. If they got an orphan spirit, then they don't know the word of God. We're not orphans. We're family. Familia. We make the mafia look bad. Your family. Not yours. I'm God's family. Our family makes yours look like... We'll just leave it at that. We're family. That means you got stuck with me and I got stuck with you. And we say it that way, we shouldn't. You know why? Because it's not being stuck. I'm not stuck with, with Jens. It's a blessing to have Jens in my family. And he's blessed to have me in his family. <laughs> Marissa will one day know that it's blessed to have me in her family. What's that, buddy? That's right. But you know the sad part about it? How many people refuse God's offer? Now, let's wrap this up. This word was a promise of a new family. So we got forgiveness, right? What was the second one? Eternal life. What was the third one? Familia. We're in the family. So what do we have so far? We have salvation. We have eternal life. And that's just the first three. These first three were, were said to people. The next four are said to God alone. The first three words from the cross tell us that forgiveness, eternal life, and acceptance was brought was bought and paid for through the cross 
by Christ. Romans 10, verse 12 says this, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who will call on him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Last thing, turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Chapter 1. Look at verse 3. I want you to grab a hold of this as we read it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith be more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, look at this, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with great joy, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. For the Christian, it's time to believe and trust that Christ's sacrifice on the cross has secured our eternal salvation and a promised living hope. Look at that again. For the Christian, it is time to believe and trust that Christ's sacrifice on the cross has secured our eternal salvation and a promised living hope. For those who are perishing, the cross is an invitation unto salvation and a living hope. But it also says in the word of God, to those that are perishing, the gospel, the cross, is foolishness. I hope today when we walk out of here that we're understanding more and more that this, this is more than just a symbol that's worn by people. It means that as a believer, and I'm speaking to believers, we're accepted. It's paid for. To the unbeliever, it's a signal or a sign of hope or a sign of foolishness. Let's pray. heads bowed and their eyes closed.
not trying to be funny when I say this. Before I was a believer, just keep your heads bowed if you would just for a moment. The cross was the thing that warded off vampires. The thing that uh, scared monsters. When I got saved, it didn't become an idol, but it became precious. Because every time I saw one, and I'm not one to wear one, but every time I saw one, it reminded me of the hope that I have in Christ Jesus. A hope that is secure and a hope that will be fulfilled. That day on the cross, he paid it all. And we'll see that even more next week. Do you know that your sins were paid for on the cross? Do you know what it means to really be saved? Do you know that you're not alone anymore? If we know these things, we will live different. And I'm speaking to me. We will live different. There'll be an unshakable assurance of the love of God in our lives. This morning, we're just going to open the altar after I pray. If you want to come and pray, come and pray. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you to go pray for somebody, go pray for them. And that's as far as we're going to go today, unless the Lord does something different. So, Father, in these, this holy moment, may we hear you. May we respond to you. Father, for those that may not know you as Lord and Savior, those who may have not accepted salvation, the gift from you. And I pray that, Father, this morning, right now, that they recognize that they are sinful and that they have sinned. And may they repent of their sin and be broken over it. And then cry out to you and forgive asking forgiveness and you promised that if we did that we confess with our mouth that you are Lord and believe in our heart that you're raised from the dead we shall be saved Father 